Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. And also joining me tonight, a guest who, this is the first time I've actually been having him on the Draft Deeper Podcast. I've been on his show a number of times. This guy has been doing awesome work in the basketball space. You know him from his own podcast, Combos Court. You know him from the Believe in Orlando Magic podcast. You know him from hanging out with Coach Nick over at B-Ball Breakdown. Andrew Salop, a.k.a. Combo from Combos Courts, joining me tonight. What's going on, Andrew? Nathan, great intro, man. Truly impressive. <laughs> I don't even have anything left to say. So everybody, everybody know, now knows where to find me. But um, thanks for having me on your podcast. I love everything you do with Draft Deeper. And as a collective, like no ceilings, it's amazing because I don't think we've ever seen anything like that in the draft community before, right? I, I, don't, I don't believe so. I mean, what, <laughs> what we do at No Ceilings is I think it's unique just based on everybody wants to talk about how we have an army. And I think that's what probably makes it the most unique, um, just the number of creators in the space. But yeah, I, I have to give you all your, all your plugs and your just do's, man, because you do, you do some fun work every time that you and I have linked up for content. We've had a blast. So it was only natural that I had you on the podcast. And a big reason why is because I'm going to be going through some top NBA rookie fits and breaking mm. down some young cores from these lottery teams that we just had make some of these picks in the 2022 NBA draft. And listen, you do some great work with the Orlando magic talking about them. And the, the, that's how we have to start this series, right? We have to talk because Paolo Vincaro was the number one overall pick to the Orlando magic. And that that's where we have to start this series. And I know the Paolo Vincaro pick, Andrew, it, it caught some people by surprise when it happened, just because all the odds makers and all the buzz you had been hearing before the draft, it was like Jabari Smith's going to be the guy, right? And some people wanted to make an argument for Chet if they thought that Chet was a better prospect, which I think you and I both had Chet top as a top overall player on our boards. Like some people wanted yeah. to make that argument, but I think all the buzz was like, it's going to be Jabari, it's going to be Jabari. And then you start to see the odds shift like 48 hours then 24 hours before the draft and lo and behold we see Paolo Bencaro as the number one overall pick going to Orlando um Andrew what were your initial reactions when Paolo got drafted by the Magic well somebody knew something for those odds to shift like that right (laughs) um yeah I thought it was a very interesting pick because I didn't think it was the greatest fit in the world at the time because I didn't know if they had the spacing around Paolo to make that work and to allow Paulo to be his most effective self. Right. But if you feel like he's the best player, I mean, I think that's where you should go. And Mm -hmm. Orlando magic obviously felt that way. I know I've heard things. I don't know if you've heard this as well, that Chet didn't send in the physicals to Orlando. Yep. The workout he didn't wasn't engaged, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, so it seems like maybe that's part of the reason they didn't want to take him. Look, I don't know if they would have took him anyway, even if he did set in the physicals and was totally engaged in his workouts. But I think that has something to do with it. But I do think, in my opinion, that Paulo's a better prospect than Jabari. So I'm not totally mad at it. And he's been playing great in summer league. We see all the excitement when it comes to his pro-am appearances. He just signed with Jordan <laughs> and the Orlando Magic fans. Man, I love them, but they they really think they're a playing team now, a lot of them. So um, 
yeah, that's tough. But uh, <laughs> I'll see well, well if if they're <laughs> if they're judging those play in chances based on how Paolo looked in those two games for the Magic in summer league and and what he was able to do for everybody else around him on top of his own performance, maybe they're a little justified in in, in being a little over optimistic uh, before we we get the season started. But yeah, how do you think he looked in in summer league? Because I know you were you were out at summer league. Um, I was out at summer league. I, I watched the the first game on TV and then I got to see him live in the second game, but he, man, did he look like he was large and in charge in those games. He was in command of that offense from start to finish. I was thoroughly impressed with how good he looked in summer league, not just from a skill perspective, Andrew, but also how good he looked physically, man. He looks like he's, he's slimmed down quite a bit. He looks like he's ready to operate more from the perimeter and on the wing versus being more of a, a, a post up mid post kind of forward. Like how, how did you think he looked in summer league? I thought he looked great. The game I actually got to see was versus OKC, and he did not suit up, so I saw him in his street clothes. I was sitting right <laughs> behind the Orlando Magic bench, but I loved everything I saw from him uh, from the TV screen when I wasn't there. Obviously, the passing really popped. That's something that not everybody took seriously in the beginning of his college season, and then everybody realized how good of a passer this guy was. This guy was, and it continued in summer league. He's really big, and it yeah. really shows – you know, like even in the um, I know we're talking about summer league here, but if you look at like the New York City open runs like he, we've seen LeBron play in those runs. We've seen Russell Westbrook play in those runs. We've seen KD play in those runs and nobody, nobody not saying he'll be these players looks like a video game character more than him. <laughs> right. He looked like he was like seven two, three hundred. man. It was just great. But yeah, his summer league play was great. And for what you just said, he's looking more like that point forward role than maybe that of like traditional four role, you know? So yeah, I like, it, I, I, mean, I like, like everything I see. Yeah. One of the comparisons before the draft that, that, that we made to, to an extent was like a Blake Griffin type of player. Right. And, and he, he looked more like a, a, a ball handling wing versus right. even like the point forward in the mold of like a Blake Griffin, like a more power player. I'm going to take, I'm going to back you down to the post. I'm going to operate from the mid post. Like Paolo was bringing the ball up the floor, initiating the offense from all different places. He was making passing reads from, from all different places on the floor. And that's, he, he didn't get to do as much of that at Duke as, as much as I think we probably would have liked to, to see from. And I have some things written down with Paolo. Like he is a multi multi-dimensional ball handler and score. I mean, he can handle the ball out in transition. You're going to get him involved in running some pick and roll offense with either of the bigs. So he can run some inverted pick and roll. He can make plays out of the short roll when he's the guy on the other side of that. Um, he's an isolation threat. There's just so much that he can do on the offensive side of the ball, but it's not just the scoring. It's not just that he can average 20 plus points per game potentially when he walks into the NBA. I mean, yeah, you see just how comfortable he is from all over the floor, the, the crossover pro-am game that, that we could talk about. Like, right. It, it, it makes me wonder, man. And, and you, I think you and I came to the same agreement about Chet as well. So like Chet was only able to show so much of his offensive game in college. Yeah. It, it's crazy how much can still be there for Paolo Bencaro as well. I I'm just so blown away with some of the things he's been able to show on the offensive side of the ball. I guess, I guess my question for you, Andrew, um, because you watched a, a fair amount of, of Orlando magic basketball last year, I think, I think more comfortably more than, than I can say, cause I was so <laughs> involved in the 2023 draft space, but do you think the magic should give him the keys to that offense immediately out of the gate to run more of it? 
Yeah, I do. Just the thing is, is like, what's the spacing around him, right? Yeah. Those guys aren't the worst spacers in the world, like Franz, like uh, Cole Anthony. I mean, RJ Hampton showed some improvement when it came to catch and shoot over the season, even though he had his highs and lows in summer league, some struggles in summer league. But those aren't the best spacers, right? And I think Paulo needs spacing around him. So, yeah, I would give him the basketball and see how it goes because I think the hype train is with him right now. And the fans are really excited. So, yes, that's what I would do. I would give him the keys, but I don't know if it's the greatest in terms of fit. So here's, here's why I would make the fit argument. And, and, and you can take a look at some of the play types for Synergy where Apollo did excel at, and you can compare those with where the Orlando Magic as a whole ranked per synergy last year they were 30th in pick and roll scoring 28th in spot up scoring 28th in in roll man scoring they ran a combined eight percent of all possessions out of either isolations or post-ups and they ranked horribly in multiple passing and shooting categories across the board these are all things that we know Paolo Bencaro brings to the table as a 610 forward somebody they they don't have quite the same dimension anywhere else in the roster in terms of having this number one overall option who can pretty much do a little bit of everything, right? Like they, they have some capable lead guard prospects. And then I think the closest thing that they've gotten to Paolo was last year with Franz, Franz Wagner taking right, some yeah. of the massive leaps that he did. Right. And now, you know, Paolo can play off Franz. Franz can play off Paolo. Like that. I think the magic, not having a number one guy, like Paolo is something that this team has been looking for. And I think that's really why they went the direction of him more so than Chad. If we're talking about like not any of the, the, the workout stuff, but just in terms of their games, I can see why they would make that argument to, to go that direction. How do you think Paolo and, and Franz are going to be able to play off each other? Yeah, I think it's going to be great. And to your point, like we always feel that it's more of a guards league, the small ball era, but we saw the Cavs do something different, not in the same way that Orlando would do with two bigs, right? So maybe the two point forward type players will work well, well together. And I think Franz is probably better off maybe as a secondary ball handler, right? And Paulo could be the primary ball handler. And then you got a whole, whole bunch of other guys who could take on that role as well, like yep. Suggs and obviously Markel Fultz, who I think is going to be their starting PG. But I do think they could play off each other because they're both very crafty players. They're smart players. And they could dribble pass shoot, right? Yep. Neither of them are the most willing shooters, but they could both definitely shoot the basketball. So if we're looking at potential lineup constructions, right? Like well, I that, think th now this is where things get tough, right? <laughs> this is where it gets interesting because you 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 talked about some of this just, just a few seconds ago with some of the shooting and the spacing around Powell. Like we we would think the starters locked in for the magic, right? It would be Paolo Bencaro. Wendell Carter and Franz Wagner. We're, we're pretty confident about those. Backcourts work it interesting, though. Um, I, I think it would be Markel Fultz and, and Jalen Suggs starting along those guys, I think. But does that offer enough spacing? And, like, I go back and look at some of the lineup constructions that actually had better offensive ratings last year, and it's uh, a lot of them actually involved Gary Harris on the floor with one of those guards, probably because of the spacing and the knockdown threat that he is. Can Suggs or Fultz be those same types of shooters next to Paolo? Um, the, the one thing that I come back to, and, and, and I want your opinion on how Paolo can fit with some of those guards and who you would want to start next to him, but 
Fultz and Suggs, they are really good cutters, right? And, and Paolo and Franz being two guys who can not only handle the ball some and in some of these situations, but they can find those cutters, right? Their passing vision allows them to hit those cutters. And that is one dimension of the offense I think gets better accentuated with somebody like Paolo handling the ball. But if, if, if you're trying to create a lineup around Paolo in the backcourt, who are the guys who you would want to put next to him? I think for defensive purposes and because Suggs didn't get enough of an opportunity last year, I would start Suggs. Okay. And to your point, I think I would go Mark Markel Fultz as well because you paid the guy, you put a lot into the guy. He was a high-level guy coming into the league, obviously had a rocky start, but he does a lot of great things even though he's not a plus shooter. Like the way he pressures the rim, the way he passes, the way he attacks the transition. I love Markel Fultz game. I think he's a great story. And I was so high on him, but I was actually having this like conversation at a dinner in summer league, which almost got me a little bit lower on him when they were like, what's it, what team would trade for him? Right? Like, yeah, there's, I don't think there's a lot of value around the league for him as much as I like him, you know? I would agree. And I think his, his future with the team is, is, is in question to an extent. I I, I think Jalen Suggs is, is pretty cemented into the Magic's future, but they have a number of guards who I'm not quite sure how they fit into the future plans, right? Um, I, I mentioned Wendell Carter. I thought I was pretty confident that he's going to be the starting center for that team going forward. Do, do you think that he's definitely the best fit at that spot next to what they're building in the front court than some options in the back court? Or do you think because you know you're gonna have the ball in Palo's hands, you want driving lanes to be open as frequently as possible? Maybe you put Mo Bamba on the floor more often with Paolo because he was showing some improvement as a floor spacer who, and, and, and he's a better, in my opinion, he's a better shot blocker around the basket to, to cover up some of those deficiencies that, that Paolo might let up on the defensive side of the ball a little bit. Who would you want to start at that big spot next to Paolo? Well, we're forgetting about Jonathan Isaac, was, which was probably the Magic's I, best I, player. I didn't forget about him. Do not worry. I did not forget about <laughs> okay, him. Okay, okay. But yeah, but you know, he's coming off an injury. It's just kind of weird to have Jonathan Isaac coming off the bench in my opinion, but I could definitely see it happening. Wendell Carter is a guy that I think could take a leap. And I don't know if everybody's using the word star potential with him, but he showed some really interesting things last season. He could, he was always really smart. Like he could always play that, be that hub as a big making the right pass, really good off DHOs could attack closeouts, but then he started showing that he could pull up off the dribble from the mid range. Right. Um, counter moves against help defense like euros and all kinds of interesting mm -hmm. things and i think he's a better athlete than people give him credit for and his shot is improving so i actually think there's a little bit of star potential when it comes to wendell and he's the best guy you have for that position in my opinion especially we don't know what's going on with jonathan isaac it's kind of an unknown so i would definitely start wendell is isaac an option for you at the five if he's yeah, healthy if he, if he comes back the way he was before the injury I think he's definitely option and I almost find it weird having him come off the bench like he feels like an NBA starter to me you know so would he be an option at the five or do you go like massive jumbo lineup and you <laughs> right. have one of those guards with Franz Paolo and then one of the bigs and then Isaac all on the floor together which do you think I think that's really tough because of how fast the NBA game is played mm -hmm. Like it's really fast and those guys aren't the slowest players, but 
collectively, I don't think the speed is there to play a lineup to start with a lineup like that. Like I would try that lineup at times, sure. but, but I don't know if you could really start with that lineup because of how fast the NBA game is. Maybe I'm wrong. Like I said, the Cavs zigged when everybody was zagging, maybe the magic <laughs> could do that as well. We've seen teams do that. Like, I mean, the reason why the golden state warriors is great. And I'm not comparing the Orlando magic to the golden state warriors. They sure. threw a new, they threw a new look at the league. Like that's really important to do something that nobody else is doing sometimes gives you a tremendous advantage. So I'm not totally against it. I don't know if I would start with it though. I, I agree with you. I think it would be an, an interesting wrinkle to throw out there and just see, you know, may, maybe you, you put that lineup out there for, I don't know, eight, eight, 10 minutes a game. Maybe that's, that's highballing it a little bit. Maybe it's more five to eight, but either, either way, you, that's a lineup you experiment with during games over the course of the year. If it works, then maybe if you do get in a playing situation, it's a really fun, unique lineup you can go to. The teams aren't exactly going to think about game planning for right at different parts of the game. Maybe that's something unique that, that, that you can do. Yeah, this is you, you, you brought up Jonathan Isaac before I did. I, I got to be honest with you. I don't know what to do with, with the Jonathan Isaac situation. It's, it's, it's unique. It's a little bizarre. Like, when, when we start talking about valuing these guys for the future, I, I think Paolo Bencaro is, is now their, their number one blue chip guy with Franz Wagner, not that far behind him. I think they, you, you, you want to value Jalen Suggs, but should Isaac be the third guy there? Should he be even higher than Franz because he was like borderline defensive player of the year candidate when we last saw him healthy? Like, how do you value Jonathan Isaac with his future with the Orlando Magic? I just hope he's healthy for the entire season. And that goes for him. That goes for Suggs, right? A lot of these guys have been plagued by injuries. So I just hope they're healthy for the whole season. And I think having this much depth is going to be a good problem to have, you know? Um, I think a wild card in all this is Cole Anthony. Let me ask you a question, Nathan. If oh, you ask, my, oh, my, my God. Don't, don't do this to me. Don't do no, this no, to you're me. Ne you're never going to guess the question I'm about to ask you. If you ask Cole Anthony who the best player in the NBA is, who do you think he'll say? Himself. <laughs> of course he would. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's that, Cole that, Anthony in a nutshell. <laughs> most definitely. He has that New York City mentality. Um, he definitely thinks – I can't say definitely. I haven't talked to him about it. Uh, Never had a conversation with the guy, even though he is from New York City. But um, that's going to be interesting because I think his best NBA role would be six-man spark off the bench because he's a go-to type player in a mm -hmm. smaller frame, right? So those guys are usually six men or they're overseas. And Cole is too talented to not be an NBA player. So I think his best role is a six-man off the bench. But that mold is like disappearing, right? Like the player that he is, you know, like Mike James is in that mold, uh, in that mold, right? Mm -hmm. And we see how great he is. He struggles to find a job in the NBA. I, I definitely think Cole Anthony is an NBA player, but would it be okay with him not to be a starter? That's going to be an inter interesting question. Where, where were you at on Cole Anthony before he, he came into the league? Like how, how did you value him as a prospect? I think when it comes to a lot of these guys on the magic, I was like with consensus, not too high, not too low. Okay. Um, that's how I was with Cole. That's how I was with RJ Hampton. That's where I was with Paulo. You know, I had Paulo as the number two guy. So yeah, I was pretty much with consensus and wasn't too high or too low on him. You know, like me, Nathan, I usually find it like a couple guys that I 
really think are being undervalued in the draft. Mm-hmm. And I, and Cole definitely wasn't one of those guys. He had an interesting season in North Carolina where he shut it down early, but he did have some injuries as well. But um, I think he's a really interesting player. And he actually had some really great flashes in the beginning of last season, you know? So before he got hurt, right, in that, like, December, January range, so we're talking, like, October, like, pretty much through December, like, he was putting together a, a, a sneaky good – Right. Potential like all-star candidacy. Yeah. Like forget just like being like a most improved player. Like that's, that's the type of guy he was on a night to night basis. Then he had some of the injury concerns, which as you just talked about the magic, it seems like almost everybody has injury concerns on that team. But like, that's, that's the type of step that Cole was taking. Like, like I, I, I hear you about the sixth man stuff. what if the magic could pull out that that crazy big lineup where like all of a sudden like Franz is your two guard and you have Paolo and and Isaac and one of the bigs out there at the same time I feel like if you're gonna play one of the quote-unquote points in that lineup like Cole would probably actually fit best with those guys because it's the most size around him to yeah. make up for everything he doesn't bring to the table defensively, which I, I, I hate that we have to dog his defense a little bit because he competes like he wants to play defense. It's just, it, it just gets to a point in today's NBA where if you're a certain size or, or below a certain threshold, like it's just, it's not as easy for you because of all the other crazy jumbo long guys all, all over the place and other spots on the floor. But like, is is that how Cole could possibly keep his reign as, as a starter in Orlando? And do you think regardless of what happens, it's, it's one of Fultz, Suggs, or maybe the both of them, and Cole should just more embrace that, that six-man role? Yeah, I think that would be an interesting lineup because Cole has the foot speed to kind of like be a good fit for that lineup. You know who would be in ideal situation if, if this would happen? Like if RJ Hampton could become a point guard, which he really has not shown that he could yet. He would be an interesting fit in that lineup because of the foot speed, you know, and the ability to, um, he's been catching and shooting better throughout the season. It's not great yet, but I think if he could play point guard, that would be another interesting fit at the point guard position for the team. But I like that idea with Cole. And I just don't know if that's going to be an issue if he doesn't start, right? Like for the reason you just said, like he was making, he had some all-star buzz. Obviously I'm sure he looks at himself like a starter, but I don't know if he's going to start on this team. What, what holds him back the most for being a starting guard in conversation with, with those other two is, is it just the size and the defense or are there some other things that, that maybe if he made improvements in like one or two other areas that maybe we'd have a lot more comfort in saying, yeah, he should be the starter along with some of these other guys. What, what do you think about him? And then I'll ask you, I'll ask you the same thing about RJ Hampton after that. Decision-making and efficiency. Okay. Yeah, I I really think that's what it comes down to. And there's some defensive issues as well, but I think those are the main two. So RJ, for for a lot of the reasons that you pointed out, I mean, he he was having a fun little little summer league stint along with uh, Caleb Houston, the other rookie who who they just brought in, who I don't know if I'm adding – Caleb Houston to add to any future young core rankings just yet. I mean, he was, he was a second round pick slid down some boards for, for a reason after his year in Michigan, but RJ Hampton, the, the, the same question, like where, where are you kind of at on RJ Hampton at this point? Cause he's, he's been like a forgotten member of, of the magic. I feel like after some of this last year now, like he, they, they drafted Suggs. They still have Marco Fultz who came back. They still have Cole Anthony. Like this backcourt's become crowded, especially now that it seems like they're going to retain Gary Harris for a little bit now too. So like, where, where are you kind of at on RJ's fit with, with a lot of these other guys? 
I'm still somewhat optimistic because he has showed that he could maybe play the two guard a little bit better than the point guard. And now you Mm -hmm. have those point forward type players with Franz and Paulo. So maybe he could be a nice fit there. I'd like to see the shooting to uh, continue to improve and the decision-making for him as well. The speed hasn't popped as much as I thought it would in the NBA because he was super explosive um, before the season. Like he doesn't get by guys the way I'd like him to yet, but maybe that's just a decision-making thing and he'll get better. But he, he shows flashes. He's still showing flashes, but I think this has to be a big year for him. If he wants to make, if he wants to have a great NBA career, this got to be the year where he starts to turn things around a little bit. So I told you that I, one thing I wanted to do on this podcast episode is I wanted to rank some of their, their young core. When I say that I'm, I'm more calling to the, 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 the under 25 guys, right. Similar to how I just did my rankings. And I put together a, a small ranking on some of the players based on how I would determine value to their long-term future with the Orlando magic, right? Do the Orlando magic actually view these guys as pieces moving forward? So if I just gave you some names in the order, how I ranked them, Andrew, but put you on the spot a little bit, I want you to, to, to try and rank some of these guys based on how important you feel they are to the magic's future. So I have Paolo number one. I ranked Franz number two. I ranked Jalen Suggs number three ahead of Isaac only because I just, I just don't know what Isaac's going to be long-term. Like he's, he's become that much of a mystery man to me to where I slid him to four. Then I put Wendell Carter five. I put Fultz six, then Cole Anthony, then Mo Bamba only because I, I thought Mo Bamba was going to be out the door. I didn't realize he'd come back on, on like a two-year deal. They, I, they, I, I they thought he was going to be gone. They like him. Oh, and they got Bull Bull. And Bull Bull Bull's technically in there too. He's, I, I I don't know what to make of Bull Bull either. I, I don't. I although love, apparently I, they're high on him though. I love summer league Bull Bull, even though I didn't see him this year. Man, two <laughs> years ago, summer league Bull Bull was fun, man. Bu- bubble Bull Bull, right? When the Nuggets were playing, the, I, I guess technically the the end of that regular season, trying to make up some of those games for the playoff start. Like that like, guy's a Bubble that, Bull Bull, yeah. That guy's a Hooper, man. That guy's a Hooper, yeah. So like how? How would you rank some of these young guys in terms of what well, you think their, their, their future value should be with that team specifically? Well, the first two, I totally agree with. So I don't have the list in front of me, but I know my third would be different than yours. And it might okay. surprise you. I'll go with Wendell Carter Jr. Okay. Yeah. From everything I've been seeing from him. Yeah. Maybe Suggs has a little bit higher upside, but as I said, I think Wendell Carter Jr. Actually has some star potential. So I'm not low on his upside. And then, the floor is really high as well. Just a guy who makes great decisions, um, rebounds really well, scores really well in multiple ways. He's really good off DHOs, faking DHOs, driving to the basket. And then he's been showing his pull-up game in the mid-range, which is something that has been a revelation. He didn't really show that as much in college. And I think he's an underrated athlete. Like he's really fast attacking closeouts. And then he has some craft in the lane, kind of what, uh, kind of like what some of the stuff we've been seeing some frauds in the lane, like some Euro stuff, you know, some really interesting stuff in the lane where if you don't really watch the Orlando magic play, you might not really think about Wendell Carter in that way. Right. (laughs) So um, yeah, I would have him at three. Number four is really tough. Oh man. I mean, out of the, out of the rest of the players, Markel Fultz is probably, oh man. I can't say that because Jonathan Isaac is in the mix. 
like just, like in terms of like who are the best players it's like jonathan isaac and markel Fultz, but it all comes down to their health right yep like if those guys are healthy i think they're the next two because just in term of like peak and ceiling and just the players that they are you know so i mean let's make it that they're all healthy so i'll go jonathan isaac markel Fultz, um then suggs then cole who do we have left and then it would be Mo Bamba, and then you could throw any yeah. of those other names yeah. In, yeah. into the mix. I kind of stopped at Mo Bamba, but yeah. yeah. So I get so I guess like if everybody's healthy, I'm saying, which might be unrealistic. I hope it's not unrealistic. <laughs> I would go with the same two you had: Paulo Franz, Wendell Carter, Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz, um, then Suggs, then Cole. And I really like Cole. I mean, it sounds bad for Cole, but. I think Suggs upside is a little bit higher than Cole's, right? So I guess we'd go with Suggs and then Cole and then Bomb and then Bo Bowl. I was, I, I guess at this point, I think I was a little irrationally high on Cole Anthony in that draft. I actually had him number one overall. Oh my God. My draft board. So wait, 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 wait. Can we, you got to remind me of some of the guys, not to put you on the spot. Who was in that draft again? I'm, I'm like, everything's, so, everything's mixing and mashing in my brain right now. You, you, you ready for this top five that that will live on in don't in, wait, infamy, wait 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 was this the, wait was this the anthony edwards draft oh it sure was oh so, my god nathan so let me let me tell you what i did let me tell you what i did and by the way if anybody's looking for an explanation about anthony edwards or or, or something along those lines, i i did a whole write-up today and, and this was published for no stones this will have been published a few days um prior to you guys listening to this podcast but in case you missed it I did my top 10 greatest draft deeper misses on the Substack on nocillingsmba.com. And I did a whole 7,200 word write up about some of the lessons that I've learned from scouting from the 2016 season all the way through the 21 season. But my, my top five that year, Andrew, was Cole Anthony at number one. It was James Wiseman at number two. It was Denny Avdia at number three. Wow. I still, I still believe in all three of those guys, by the way, to, to, to an extent, just not, I, I, I could not rank them ahead of, I had LeBron right. Ball at four I, and then I mean, Anthony Edwards at number five. I had Edwards at number five. That will be one of my biggest regrets because I, I, I didn't, it's not that I didn't think Anthony Edwards couldn't get to where he is. I didn't envision Anthony Edwards getting to where he is this damn quickly. Like he, that Timberwolves team, that is that is his team. From what I just watched in the playoffs, I know Carl Anthony Towns is, is, is a decorated all-star, one of the best big men, arguably, that we have in the game, arguably the best stretch big man in the game. That's Anthony Edwards' team, man. Like, that, that's crazy that I'm saying that uh, about Mr. Edwards at this point. And then it's, it's his maturity and his leadership capability, too, which is those are things that I definitely underestimated with him coming out of Georgia, we can talk about some of the shot selection and some of the decision-making and his, his lack of, of defensive intensity in college, but really it's his, not to make this podcast, not about the Orlando magic, I, but, but I am curious about some of your thoughts on Edwards because it's, it's his maturity and then his leadership and communication skills that are really, th those are the biggest things that have stood out to me about his ascension and why I think he is where he is right now. What do you think? Yeah, I have to be honest. I was super high on Anthony Edwards in that draft. I had him number well, you were one. You were right overall. then. <laughs> yeah, I had him number one overall. I'm going through my Instagram to look at my top five to see where it was while we're talking. Maybe I'll find it. Maybe I won't. But um, 
man, like just the combination of athleticism and skill level is elite. Like there are no athletes in the NBA, like Anthony Edwards, Zach Levine might be the only one you could slightly compare it to, but, but you can't, but he's not as strong as Anthony Edwards. Right. Mm -hmm. And then what's coming into the league. I felt like his athleticism wasn't talked about enough. Like, yes, everybody knew he was a great athlete, but I don't think people were talking about just how athletic this guy really was. Like, I think he's an all-time athlete. And now I think the thing is people aren't talking about his skill level enough. Like it went to that, like everybody knows he's athletic now, but the craft in the lane, he's a three-level scorer. He's a better passer than people give him credit for. So I've said it, like I had Jokic winning MVP this year, which happened, Luka next year. And I think Anthony Edwards is in the mix for the year after. Does does it surprise you at all with the level that he's hit this quickly in no. his career? Like, does that part of it shock you? No. Okay. Because because I could go back to the receipts, like the way I was talking about this guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'll I'll be totally honest with you if I like had like him at three, or I, I was like skeptical. Like, I've had a lot of tweets saying like this guy has the highest ceiling. He has the best chance to become a superstar in this draft. And I was like, really, like you know, Nathan, like with me. I don't go in depth in the draft like you because I don't have a draft podcast, but I kind of focus. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like you're talking about like undrafted guys all day. You know what I mean? Like I don't go that far, but I usually, I, I mean, I definitely look at second round prospects and I look for sleepers in the second round. Like I'm into it and I have a lot of draft episodes, but what I like to do is find the guys that I'm really high on. Right. And he was definitely one of those guys. Like over the years, it's been Tyrese Halliburton and Scotty Barnes. I was really high on and um chet i mean i know chet and anthony were number one picks so that's like it's nothing to like toot your horn about but those are like some of the guys that i was i was like really high on over the years and there's a lot more if you like look through my social media well i'm i'm, I'm not surprised at all boss because you're 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 a player you're 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 a player at the end of the Appreciate day that. you you know how to study and evaluate these guys so like just just to kind of put a nice little bow on this podcast and maybe we can tie some of it back to, to the Orlando magic to really finish it off. But like when, when you're watching guys, right. And, and you're evaluating talent, like what are some of the things that, that, that you're looking at that, that maybe some other evaluators aren't putting enough stock into when you're trying to degrade these, these players out to ultimately be guys who are impacting the game at the NBA level. Well, if you're looking for a star like player, this sounds really simple, but can you get your shot off effortlessly? Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's what I really liked about Anthony Edwards. That's what I really liked about Jalen Green. And he had his ups and downs, right? Zach Levine is a guy. Like, guys that could get their shot off effortlessly, it's not a struggle. And I think that's really important for the star players. Obviously, the role players, you need rim runners and guys who are lob threats and 3 and D guys. Mm-hmm. But at the highest level, for you to become an NBA star, it's hard to get that level if you don't have an innate ability to get your shot off at three levels. It's interesting you say that because you know you know who can do that. And and it's it's looking effortlessly right now is Paolo Bencaro, the guy they yeah. took at number one. Yes, and Kate Cunningham too. So oh, like, I love Kate Cunningham. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of a difference when it comes to shooting when you look at Kate and Paulo. Obviously, Paulo is bigger and might be able to punish you more in the paint, right? But actually, you know what, Cade, Cade muscles do sometimes too. Like, I, I think we've seen him do that to Katie. But I do think that Cade is a better passer than Paulo, and he gets his shot off more effortlessly than Paulo. But Paulo's going to be great. I mean, the guy is like 6'10". He looks seven feet in these uh, open run videos. <laughs> the, 
So that's the yeah, advantage. That's the advantage he has over Cade. You know, he's just bigger. Some of some of the shooting and some of the scoring that we can talk about with Paolo. It, it looks a little different, obviously, for, for yeah. Franz, but Franz, did, did his offensive ascension last year surprise? Because we would, we would both rank him number two out of this young court, I yeah. think, for, for good reason. But did any of that surprise you? Because, like, the, the way I talk about Franz and the way I talked about Franz before the draft, Andrew, was – I had him as a, I would have had him as a top 10 prospect, right? He was like at the top of like a tier three, like a starters tier for me during that class. And I, I would have had him comfortably inside a, a top 10, but people would, would try and ask me like, what's his ceiling? Like, right. Like if he hits his top end outcome, like who is he? And I threw out the name Gordon Hayward as, as like a top end outcome for, for Vrons. And, and, I threw it out as like, that's a comparison that I could see. But at the same time, I didn't know if Franz could, could actually hit that bar because not only was Gordon Hayward, you know, a, a really good option for the Utah jazz. He Gordon Hayward was like a top five small forward in, in oh, yeah. the NBA and oh, yeah. at, at his peak. And obviously injuries have, have derailed that to, to where he is now. No, I mean, but... I mean, the Hornets were so much better when he was playing and it's, it's, oh, they you were, know, you know what I mean? So like, he's still great. He just can't stay on the floor. I, I, I would agree, but yeah. at, at his peak, like th- that's how good of a forward he was. And, and the crazy thing is like, I, I watched Franz last year. All of a sudden I start to talk myself into, could that actually be a, a true a realistic high-end outcome for Franz like was actually not too far off base with that how how impressed were you with Franz last year yeah so that's a guy that I was somewhat surprised by and I'll tell you what I was surprised about him the craft like the craft in the lane with the different different types of finishes of the euros the floaters the the same leg layups like I didn't see all of that in Michigan did you I, I did not. I did not think I did not think he he got nearly the, the number of volume scoring opportunities in Michigan like he did with right. Orlando. But I I think what, what opened up more of his offensive game and it's something that even when we live in this era of not only pace, but also space, we we underrate sometimes how important that space is. And when you actually have it, what you can do with it. And I feel like that's what helped Franz really jump up a a level offensively. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, spacing helps so much. That's why sometimes it's good to look at the high school tape because it shows what type of NBA player they might be even more than the college tape because the college game is so cluttered. It's so different. Not to say that high school basketball is like the NBA, but sometimes it's just more space, right? Like it, and you do this for a living, Nathan. I mean, you do this very often. So I'm sure it's tough watching these college games where the rules, the style of play, uh, the quarter length, the talent level is just so different from the NBA. I mean, in Europe, if you look all the way from the youth to the top level, at least everything's the same. And I think we, we need to get to that at some point. Like, I think college basketball should adopt some more of the NBA style rules. Yes, I know the talent isn't there, so the spacing won't be the same because the shooting isn't the same. But I do think you can make some changes to the college game to make it a little bit more like the NBA. But obviously, that's not the only point for college basketball, right? Like to evaluate for the NBA. So I see the reason why they uh, keep some of their rules. Oh, you and I are in 
you and I are in 100% agreement on, yeah. on, on that, my friend. Some, some of those college games, they, 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 they get a little tough to watch. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna, not gonna lie to you. I, I, I miss watching um, the, the NBA as often as I used to when I was deep in the weeds in the 2022 draft last year. I think it was more so like this past draft was so hard for me to evaluate on a player to player basis that I had to spend more time watching these guys. And I want to get back to watching more NBA this upcoming year than I did last year. And I want to cover more of the NBA on this podcast with some of the stuff we're doing with no ceilings. Cause I think it's always important to make sure you're familiar with the level that these guys are trying to get to. Like what, what level are you evaluating these guys to go into? What are the trends? What are these NBA teams looking for? You don't lose sight of those things so that when you are studying some of these guys in college, you know exactly how to project them. The only way you can do that is if you're following the, the NBA game more more closely. So that is that is something I want to rectify with this upcoming 2023 draft class. But I'll get you out of here on this. Um, you, you mentioned Cade Cunningham. You mentioned Scotty Barnes. Um, yeah. We just did a top 25 under 25 exercise on this podcast feed. And we did a we did a fun mock draft exercise with, with some of the other guys and, and Pee Wee from Through the Wire. And that's my that's my guy, Pierre. I mean, we've been doing Friday shows for probably years now on uh, IG and Twitter. Yeah, that's my guy, Pierre. Shouts to Pierre. Oh, oh, he's yeah, he's 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 the freaking best. And I was so I was so thrilled when I could get him on a podcast. Um, it was funny. I think I saw that like you guys all had your picture, uh, the no ceilings picture, and like he was like on the phone. <laughs> we we had all of our no ceilings avatars and i told right. kevin to try and make graphics and and, and uh <laughs> pierre maybe we just need to get pierre a, a, an avatar like that just yeah, just definitely. just for the support but um we, we all had fun drafting and the one thing that surprised me and maybe it shouldn't surprise me maybe it wouldn't surprise you i'm not gonna ask you to come up with a ranking right now or anything like that but the one oh, thing no, that didn't not, happen not not like you ever did that before <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Uh, oh my god this guy, uh, go ahead go ahead the one thing that surprised me was all three of Kate cunningham evan mobley and scotty barnes went in the top 10 of our mock draft so out of like the 26 player pool that we really gave ourselves the draft out of all three of those guys went in the top 10 i know you tried to, to speak highly about a few of them but like when we're start when we're comparing the young talent in the NBA, right? We're evaluating some of these guys, and Paolo Bencaro was in that conversation for me. But like when we start comparing some of these guys to like Luka Doncic and, and Jason Tatum and, and and John Morant, like if I just told you that up front that like these guys are already so close to the upper echelon of the best young youngsters that we have in the NBA, like. Does that surprise you that that we value those guys so highly? Like, how good do you think that group from 2021 can truly be of, like, Cade, Mobley, Barnes? You can throw Jalen Green in there, some of the other guys we talked about. Yeah. Like, where, where's the 2021 draft going to fall for you when, when it's all said and done? Yeah, I mean, I was with consensus on Mobley, but I was really high on the other three. You know, so um, I think that's a great draft. I always thought throughout the whole year that Mobley, uh, sorry, that uh, Barnes wasn't getting his just due. And I thought he was a top five prospect. He eventually got in there. And then when Toronto fans went crazy, I'm like, you guys got the steal. <laughs> like, like, that's what I was like, like you guys got the steal and it ended up that they did get the steal, but those like that class is going to be great. And Jalen green, man, he's going to, he's explosive. 
he had he started out a little bit shaky, but you know, he had some really big games towards the end. I know they're not the most meaningful games, but as I said, like what I always noticed from Jalen Green is just his ability to separate and score. And that's so important when you're a main option in the NBA. Cade, what Cade, what could more could you say about Cade, right? Like, <laughs> like he could do everything. Like he he's like a three-level scorer, a fantastic passer. He brings all the uh, intangibles, high IQ, great leader. You see it right away. Like when I saw him in summer league, like you see the leadership right away. So that's going to be a fantastic draft class. And Evan Mobley already showed that he could be part of a winning team, right? His very first year. And what's also amazing about that draft class is like defense is usually the last thing to come. And Cade, Mobley, and Barnes are already plus defenders in the NBA, which is very tough to do at their age. It's it's incredibly rare. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that you brought up that point because I think sometimes evaluators are a little too hard on guys defensively, and right. I, I I want to look for a certain level of competitiveness and, and awareness on the defensive side of the ball. These guys coming into the NBA, but like you're a player too, like. Try, try to adjust to the speed of a game on, on a different level and being aware of everything going on around you, not just what's in front of you. Like it, to, to me, it's, it, it, it's a little crazy to expect so much from some of these guys on, on that end so soon, but yeah, Cade, Mobley, Barnes, Franz Wagner, who we just talked about the magic. He's, he's, he's a solid defender and there's a number of guys um, from that class yeah. that are going to be solid on that end as well. For, for you to last in the NBA, you really do have to be like, if you have a 10 year career in the NBA and you're playing a lot of minutes at all times, you have to be incredibly intelligent as a basketball player. Like everything you have to remember defensively, everything you have to remember offensively. There's a lot that goes into it than just throwing the ball out there and playing. <laughs> and for those guys to get the defensive side of the ball at that age is just incredible. And they're all obviously going to have long NBA careers they're all going to be all-stars in my opinion. And it's just great to see that young players like that coming in as plus defenders. It really is incredible. Like amazing. Amazing. Is, is there more young talent in the NBA now than, than, than ever oh, before? Yeah. Is that oh, where yeah. we're at? Yeah. I just think like, let's say like if we ranked all 500 players and this has nothing to do with Kate or any of those guys, sure. like 250 to 500 is a lot better than it used to be in my opinion, talent wise. Like, it's a lot better. The, the average NBA player is a lot closer to the star than, M than ever before. There's a lot more star-level players. So, like, even, like, Seth, now, Seth Parnell talks about this. Like, when we talk about the top five, there's, like, 20 top five guys. Because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard to not look at a guy and say, yeah, he's top five. But we're saying that about, like, 20 guys, you know? Um, I don't know if we had that type of problem in the past. So there's just incredible depth in the NBA. And not only that, the NBA G League has got a lot better. So we're just seeing the influx of young players. Obviously, the international talent has, a, has got a lot better. We've seen from the last few MVPs, right? Yep. So there's just so much depth. There's so many basketball players. And I think basketball is going in the right direction. I agree with you. I love where the game is. I love where the game's going. The the right. depth of young talent, even from what we just got in this draft class. Orlando Magic fans, Paolo, I, I have a strong feeling, Paolo Bencaro, I'm going to be saying the same kind things about him this upcoming NBA year as I'm saying with Cade and, and Barnes and, and Mobley and those guys. And I'm throwing Chet in that conversation too. Those are 
those were my top two guys okay. um, in, in this draft class. I'm going to put the both of them. I think they're going to be right there in that conversation for, for years to come. So much fun coming the way of NBA fans and Orlando Magic fans as well. Andrew, it was a blast to have you on this podcast episode, my friend. I know I gave you a few plugs uh, uh, up front, but that doesn't do your plug justice. Tell everybody about everything you're doing um, and what you got going on coming up. Can we just copy and paste? Well, you know, <laughs> nah, um, yeah, like everything Nathan said, you know, uh, Combos Court podcast, C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T, pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah, you can catch me on uh, Coach Nick's YouTube channel, B-Ball Breakdown. We do a bunch of live shows there. Uh, the Believe in Magic podcast with my co-host Max Van Auken and uh, Twitter Combos Court. Instagram, I have a lot of fun on there. All kinds of videos. So that's uh, one, two combo, O-N-E-T-W-O. C-O-M-B-O. Nathan, thank you so much for uh, having me on your platform. I love everything everybody is doing at No Ceilings. I really enjoy the Draft Deeper podcast, and uh, it's great to be on here. Oh, you're, 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 you're a wonderful man, my friend, and certainly thank you for, for coming on, and, and the most important thanks. Thank you to everybody out there listening to, yes, to the Draft yes. Deeper podcast. If you aren't subscribed, please go do so wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. As Andrew said, make sure you're following the No Ceilings Collective on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA and you're subscribed to the Substack, NoCeilingsNBA.com. I'll do one more selfish plug for myself. If you haven't read that piece already where I broke down my top 10 biggest draft misses, in my opinion, over the last six years, please go ahead and read that column. I promise I've learned plenty of lessons throughout the years. I promise you go read that column. You will learn something from that as well. So thank you again for showing me as well as the whole No Ceilings team, all the support that you do on a daily basis. We'll be back for more fun podcasts continuing through this offseason stretch before the 2023 draft. But for now, thank you again, as always, for listening and hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.